Live. 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 Live from New York. This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle! Follow me! Follow me to freedom! Here's your host, Mike Phillips. Sorry, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Justin the Suffering Podcast with New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. We have a good show for you lined up this week. We have we did our giant offseason preview last week. This week, we are doing a Jet offseason preview. You're going to be joined in just a bit by John Butchko, the host of the Locked On Jets podcast, which covers the Jets for Gang Green Nation. We're going to take a deep dive into what went wrong for the Jets and a lot of the key decisions they had to make. It'll be a very important year in the franchise's history. So we'll talk to John in just a bit. We're also going to do our championship Sunday picks with Justin Diaz. So always fun talking football with Justin. We're going to make pick both games. Give you a little breakdown coming up at, later in the podcast. Also, make sure you're tuning in at the end of the show. It's a two-minute drill. While I was recording the pick segment with Justin, we did have the Hall of Fame results break. I'll give you my take on them in just a bit. You like it here on the Justin the Suffering podcast. Feel free to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering Your Favorite Podcast platforms. You can find all episodes there. Feel free for your feedback and starting as well at the podcast, even better going forward. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video version of the conversations with uh, John Butchko and Justin is up on YouTube. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. And I'm going to recap all four divisional games and start getting us set up here for Championship Sunday. That is coming up here right after this. Two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time here. And we were doing some good football after Wild Card Week was a dud. We got great games throughout the divisional round. Three of the four games are closed until the end. The fourth was a tie at halftime. We had instant classic Bills Chiefs. Let's take a look back at the weekend that was. We'll go chronologically once again. Texans, Ravens. This was the game that was tied at the half. Ravens kicked it to another gear in the second half. They blew out Houston 34 to 10. You cannot be shocked that Baltimore was a bit rusty because everything they had was wrapped up prior to week 18. You had not played for three weeks to buy in there. The Texans were never really in the game. Their lone touchdown came off a punt return from Steven Sims. The Baltimore defense dominated from the jump. C.J. Stroud was ordinary in the game. He completed 19 of 33 pass for 175 yards. Lamar Jackson, our soon-to-be MVP, was a game record. Jackson completed 16 of 22 pass for 152 yards. Two touchdowns through the air. He runs for another 100, two more scores. It was a Lamar Jackson takeover. There have been questions about Jackson's ability to perform in the playoffs this season. His past playoff experience has not been great. Big positive for Baltimore here to get this great performance from Jackson in a win. Set themselves up nicely with the AFC Championship game at home for the first time since 1970. The Packers and 49ers. I, Troy and I in the picks last week both laid the points in the Niners. This game was far, far closer than I thought it was going to be. The Debo Samuel injury proved to be a big deal for the 49ers. They struggled to throw the ball once he went down. Christian McCaffrey, the most effective offensive player for San Francisco, he rushed 17 times for 98 yards, two touchdowns, and seven catches for 30 more yards. Brock Purdy had issues. He was not very effective when he was forced off his out with the pass rush here, and Green Bay did get after him a bit. 
That's a problem here because Green Bay showed that if you want to beat this team, get Brock Purdy off his spot, make him move outside the pocket. He's not going to be as accurate, and that's a big issue. That's when you don't have, like, Debo at full strength. Who, who knows his availability next week? Jordan Love, more of a mixed bag in this game here. He made some great throws, made a few key mistakes. Interception late in the game, end of the game. We really had a shot to drive for a tying field goal or the win. Not the end for Green Bay, though. Jordan Love looked like he's the next in line of the Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre lineage of QB1 superstars for Green Bay. So, great start for Jordan Love. We'll see what happens with him as he improves going forward here. Bucks Lions. Last week, Detroit, you saw some jitters. First home playoff game in over 30 years. They were a little tight. Matthew Stafford in the building. Much more in command this game against Tampa Bay. It felt like the Lions kept the Bucks at arm's length in most of this game. Tampa had a late touchdown, forced a three and out, got a chance to tie it at the end of the game. Baker Mayfield threw a pick over the middle, however, here. Lions are on the NFC Championship for the first time in 32 years. A note here on Todd Bowles as well, who Jet fans know are very, is a very uh, frustrating coach. The Lions screw up their clock management here. They kneeled on third down with 37 seconds left. Bowles did not take a timeout. In fact, he had one, which made no sense to me. It's a playoff game. Anything could happen. You could get a punt return. You block a kick, fumble a snap. At least try. The fact he didn't is a very, very bad look on Tampa Bay. And we'll see next year. He has a little room because he won a playoff game. We'll see if they can build on this going forward here. Game of the weekend, unquestioned, Chiefs-Bills. Much more heartbreak for Buffalo and the the Bills Mafia once again. Everyone is going to fixate on Tyler Bass's version of wide right. But the Bills had plenty of opportunities to win this game before that field goal was even attempted. Stephon Diggs gets a huge pass. He let a potential game-winning touchdown bomb slip through his fingers earlier in that drive. If he catches it and is in the end zone, maybe the Bills are going to Baltimore State and Kansas City. Again, you can't rule out Mahomes going down and winning the game, but makes it a much different scenario if it's you're getting a touchdown with very little time on the clock. The Buffalo defense also did a very poor job stopping the Kansas City running game and covering Travis Kelsey, who along with Rasheed Rice is one of the two weapons Patrick Holmes actually can use on the passing game. A lot of busted coverages by the Bills secondary. Nobody wanted to saw Kelsey get left wide open in the secondary for a touchdown. And that's not a good look for a defensive head coach, Sean McDermott. Also, keep in mind here, McDermott made a very strange call with that fake punt on his own 30-yard line in the fourth quarter that was the direct snap to DeMar Hamlin that fell miserably short here. That should have been a game-icing play for Kansas City. The Bills caught a break from the worst rule in football. Nicole Hardman fumbled out of the end zone from the, from the Buffalo one-yard line, and the Bills got the ball back. It's fair to wonder, in my opinion, if the winner of this Bills team has closed. Yes, they have Josh Allen, but keep this in mind. They come up small in the playoffs four times now. The Chiefs eliminated them three of the past four years. Last year was Cincinnati. They are way over the salary cap. They have $43 million over. A lot of free agents. Guys they have in their contract are getting old. There have also been rumblings the past two years now that Stephon Diggs is not happy in Buffalo. And remember, this team was 6-6 six and six before getting hot at the end of the year to get in. I know they had defensive injuries, but this was set up perfectly for Buffalo. They had the 2C. They had a home... They had the Chiefs coming into their building, the weakest version of the Chiefs so far. Couldn't get the job done. The AFC is also only going to get tougher here. If the Bills are in the NFC, say, okay, maybe, you know, we'll get things together here, have a shot, because the NFC has not had many great teams in it. AFC, you have Aaron Rodgers next year back for the Jets. Joe Burrow is going to be back for the Bengals, and they still went 9-8 without him. 
Deshaun Watson back for the Browns. They're going to be all healthy next year, help their teams. C.J. Stroud and Trevor Lawrence are ascending young quarterbacks. Those teams should be on the rise. Miami's not going anywhere in the AFC East. They're the biggest threat to the Bills right now, depending on what the Jets do. Baltimore KC, obviously not going anywhere. Pittsburgh, always relevant with their defense. And the right coach, it sounds like Jim Harbaugh is close to the Chargers, by the way, as a recording. You could help them get back in the mix quickly, Justin Herbert. It is very possible that the Super Bowl win of this Bills team has slammed shut. And with that, we will get you ready for the Championship Sunday games in just a bit when we talk to Justin, the pick segment. But up next, we're going to talk some Jets football with John Butchko right after this moment from the Jets season finale's Brees Hall iced the Patriot game a touchdown courtesy of Fox Sports' Chris Myers and Robert Smith. And the Jets hoping to finish off this game as Hall carries again, gets a first down, motoring down the sideline. It's still going, and in for a Jets touchdown. And Brees Hall with the finishing touches. A 50-yard run. Watch the block from Bowden, number 48 on the outside, just clears that out. Allows Hall to get up to the sideline. Brian a little bit late coming to the party, and this is what we said about Brees Hall. Really deceptive with his speed, and defensive backs take a bad angle on him. All right, we are back. We talked some Giants last week. This week we're talking Jet offseason. Joining me today, a uh, great friend of the podcast. He's the host of the Locked On Jets podcast. He also does some Jets coverage throughout the interwebs. John Butchko is back with us. John, how are you? Great, Mike. Glad to be with you. Yeah, glad to be with you here, too. And obviously... When we last talked last year, we had much higher hopes for the Jets. Things did not go as planned. Obviously, the simplistic explanation is the quarterback tore his Achilles four plays in the season, but we, we who watched this closely you know there was a path to salvage things that it was not taken here. What was your take on how this season just went so wrong in the back of 7-10 and 10 again? Well, you're right. Uh, I think almost any team in the NFL is going to have major issues if their starting quarterback only plays four snaps before going down uh, with a season-ending injury. And, you know, as much as you can criticize the Jets for sticking with Zach Wilson as their number two quarterback, and I think they deserve some criticism for that uh, on numerous levels, we do need to acknowledge that, you know, the plan, it was to have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Now, that said, I think when you look under the hood, this was about more than Aaron Rodgers. Uh, the Jets took a lot of gambles when they built this offense. You know, they, it's really difficult in the NFL when you try and microwave a contender, when you, you try and just turn your team, take, you, you try and build a Super Bowl contender in the course of one offseason because you don't always have all the players available at your disposal that you need to make yourself a legitimate contender. Jets took a lot of gambles on this offense. Uh, you know, I it's easy to second-guess stuff after it happens, but even in the moment, going into the season with Dwayne Brown, who's at 38, coming off a serious injury, and Makai Becton, who essentially missed two full seasons, those two guys as your starting tackle, and no real viable backup plan, yeah, that was an issue. That was, and Yeah, you could have carved out a path where these guys both play well enough to keep you afloat, but both guys were enormous gambles. You know, betting on one of these guys would have been a, would have been a tough bet. Needing both of these guys to stay healthy and play well, yeah, that was a that was a bit much to ask, and they both were not very good. In fact, the offensive line was awful. You look at the receiver position, and Garrett Wilson's excellent, but after him, and I understand that you know Alan Lazard is a friend of Aaron Rodgers. I understand Rodgers probably pushed for the Jets to sign him, 
But look at his career in Green Bay. You know, this was never a guy who was a great option. Uh, you know, he's a guy who he, he was, I remember watching the film from Green Bay after the Jets signed him. He's a bigger receiver, so you don't expect him to be quick. You don't expect him to be sudden. You know, he's not going to be a guy who makes sharp cuts, but he didn't play big. You know, he was never a guy who was great in contested catch situations. He did not have strong hands. He was never overly productive. And, you know, usually, like, if you if you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, you sign a guy from another, another team, you say, well, he'll be better playing with Aaron Rodgers. You couldn't really say that with Lazard. And, you know, it's, again, like, I get why they did it. Like, I think part of it was they were trying to steal the deal with Rodgers. Uh, but, you know, this is, depending on how long Lazard is your number two receiver, was not a good idea. Randall Cobb, I mean, again, close friend with Aaron Rodgers. That's why he was brought in. But everybody knew he was, he really did not have much to offer. They bring in Nicole Hardman from Kansas City. This is a guy, you know, we talked about Alan Lazard not producing with Aaron Rodgers. Nicole Hardman's a guy that was a fairly pedestrian guy in Kansas City with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. The idea that he was going to come to New York and suddenly light it up, I, I don't know why the Jets would have believed that. So uh, it's undeniable the team would have been better with Aaron Rodgers as quarterback, quite a bit better. But look across the offense. I mean, this offense would have had issues even if Rodgers was in the lineup. You know, would they have go ahead, going eight, eight games without, you know, scoring multiple touchdowns on offense? Probably not. But I don't know that this offense would have been good enough. You know, I'm not totally convinced the Jets are a playoff team, even if Aaron Rodgers is healthy, because there were deficiencies in other parts of the offense that was built. And in some ways, I feel like it, it might, might be convenient for the Jets that they lost Rodgers as they try and sell the 2024 team because you could say, oh, our quarterback went down. Well, yeah, I think you have to be a little bit more objective with the way the team struggled on that side of the ball because Zach Wilson was not good. Tim Boyle was unplayable. Trevor Simeon was shaky. The quarterback's obviously, obviously the most important position. Quarterback was the source of a lot of their problems, but there were also a lot of problems that were not related to the quarterback. Yeah, for sure here. And obviously this is a very big offseason in the NFL in terms of, you know, Carson Arbor. We already had eight job openings pop up here. The Jets made a very early call on Christmas Eve to announce that everyone's coming back here. And I thought that was curious. I know Aaron Rodgers had weighed in earlier that week saying he liked the brain trust here, and that played heavily into Woody Johnson's thing here. But how surprising was it that we got this call, like, with three games to go when the Jets were basically in the midst of a massive losing streak? Yeah, and you know something? It almost completely blew up in their faces because that was, that was released in an exclusive interview Woody Johnson did with the New York Post. It was the morning that it was published the morning the Jets played the Washington Commanders, and they almost blew like a twenty point lead. And they, they ended up winning the game in the end, but they almost had a horrific loss hours after that uh, published. Um, look, I'm on record. I think that the Jets probably would have been better off moving on from Joe Douglas and Robert Sala. Uh, you know, I think that Douglas's deficiencies. We just talked about some of them. He, he's not done a good job on the offensive side of the ball. I think there are other issues with the way he's managed the team. Uh, Salah, I mean, for three years, and I understand you can't really win in the NFL without a quarterback, and he has not had a quarterback, and that might be an understatement. But he's made very shaky hires on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I think overall he has a philosophy that you see in a lot of defensive coaches that his mindset is that the defense's job is to win the game, the offense's job is to stay out of the way, and they're very, very conservative. And I think a lot of the conservative play calling we saw from Nathaniel Hackett emanates from Salah's overall philosophy. I mean, Salah to me seems like a guy who, you see this a lot, a guy who's a very good coordinator, but maybe not a great head coach. I think his in-game management decisions are shaky. 
I don't think he really follows some of the modern best practices analytically when we talk about being aggressive going for it on fourth down. I think, though, part of the problem is that the Jets have built this entire thing around Aaron Rodgers. They have gone out of their way to give, I, I don't know the extent to which Rodgers is actually demanding this, but I think it's clear, like, whether it's direct or not, they're going out of their way to give Aaron Rodgers exactly what he wants. And I think that's one of the reasons they stuck with Salah and Douglas, because if you get rid of these guys, you know, it's going to be very difficult to tell this job if you essentially, you're just doing whatever Aaron Rodgers wants. Any GM candidate, any head coach is going to want to come in and do their own thing. And they may like, you know, it's very possible. In fact, I'd say it's even likely. They want Aaron Rodgers to be on the team. But I don't think anybody they hire would be willing to delegate. I don't think they'd be willing to show such deference to Rodgers that they're going to do whatever he wants schematically or personnel-wise. And I think that played into it. I think, honestly, another aspect of this is Woody Johnson's the owner, and I, I don't know how to put this diplomatically. He just doesn't know anything about football. And I think that for Woody Johnson, it's very easy to sell yourself on the idea that well, we lost Rodgers, otherwise we're a Super Bowl team. You know, we had all the hype. We had hard knocks. We had, you know, the top story on NFL Network and ESPN every day heading into the season. We must have been a Super Bowl team. And if, and if it wasn't for Rodgers going down, in fact, he even said that in the he more or less said that in the interview that he thought that this team was ready to win with Rodgers. And he, I think he kind of, he, he mentioned, you know, that a good quarterback will lift everybody up on offense as though they don't need to like work on their offensive line or receiver group. So I think part of it is just Woody Johnson doesn't really know what he's looking at. And I think Woody Johnson's kind of bought into the idea that the team would have been great with Aaron Rodgers had he not gotten injured. So I think those are the things that play into it. I, like you, was not, I, I was, I remember being so, not so much surprised because I don't think anything that just really do surprises me. I remember looking at that and kind of scratching my head, uh, both at the timing and I think just the overall decision. Yeah, I'm sorry to go into the, these two specifically. You're talking about Robert Sala a bit there, but I want to go deeper here because obviously, like, we brought him in here as this big rah-rah guy from San Francisco, led a great defense here. He's had some moments, like the win over the Eagles is impressive game planning, but I feel like Sala as a whole, like, I feel like he's sort of like an average to blow average coach who sort of fits the mentality that Woody Johnson has hired pretty much every coach except for Adam Gase, where he brings in a defensive-minded head coach who doesn't want anything to do with the offense and thinks the defense will win football games, which... I don't know if it's a philosophical thing from their point of view here. I, it just seems like that they hired the same coach five or six times. It's only worked out for them like once. Yeah, and you know, I know a lot of people think you should only hire or you, you should skew things towards the offensive side of the ball. I don't know that I necessarily believe that. I mean, you know, Demico Ryan is doing pretty good in Houston, and you know, they just they they got a young quarterback too. So I think you know clearly. A coach with a D, you know, from the defensive side of the ball can't succeed. Sean McDermott in Buffalo. I mean, he was part of the staff that where Josh Allen developed. Um, you know, the thing that amazes me with the Jets is that the one thing that sticks out is that uh, in the, during Woody Johnson's tenure, there's a, they've only hired one coach who had previous head coaching experience. That was Adam Gates, and so his experience was not very good. And at some point, like I, I feel like you would think the, the owner would say, you know, I've been really bad at picking these coaches. You know, Rex was Rex had a couple of good years, so I, you know, I don't want to put Rex in that category, but Herm Edwards was first coach that, that had a, you know, made the playoffs three times in five years, but overall they have not found a coach that lasted. And at some point, wouldn't you think the owner would say, you know what, I'm not really that good at scouting these assistant coaches. Maybe I should just go out, write somebody, write somebody with credibility, check somebody with a proven track record and just bring them in. 
I mean, that's kind of like what, what I think. And I think, I think at some point you just have to say, you know what, just trying to find the next hot coordinator hasn't worked for us. So, uh, you know, Salad at the time was a hire that I thought made sense, you know, based on what we knew from him in San Francisco. But you never know how these coordinators are going to work out. Sometimes it works out very well. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I think it's the just next coaching hire if it doesn't work out with Salad. They just ought to find somebody who's proven. And, yeah, they cost a little bit more money, and sometimes they make demands of you. And that might mean you have that might mean you that might mean you have to meddle less as an owner that you don't have say in personnel anymore. And for the Jets, based on the job Woody Johnson's done, that would be a pretty good thing in my view. Uh, but you know, it's, I I don't know. Like I'd love for it to work out for Robert Sala. You know, by all accounts, he seems like a really good guy. Um, by all accounts, you know, really impressive football mind. But I'm just not sure he's got what it takes at least right now to be a head coach. And you know, some guys fail their first stint and. They learn, and they're better the second time around. Um, maybe Salah can grow. I mean, it's not unheard of that a guy, you know, after three years can kind of reassess where he's at and make the changes he, need, he needs to make. But uh, right now, I think it's not been great for Robert Salah. Yeah, for sure here. And I think one thing that's interesting here also is the Joe Douglas regime, which he's coming in now. This is going to be his fifth year on the job, really fourth year in charge of personnel because he came in after the 2019 offseason was basically done. And, like, He's had some big hits. The 2022 draft was great. He's won some trades, found DJ Reed for agency, but there have been a lot more misses people want to give credit for. Notably, Zach Wilson, number two, was a miss, and some of their free agent signings over the years have not been great. So, like, what do you think about Joe Douglas, the GM? Because he came over from Philly with a huge reputation about, oh, this is the hottest star on the GM circuit. The Jets hit a home run here. They give him six years because he inherited an expansion team, and they have had a very bad record throughout his entire tenure. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, when they hired him, I, everybody was praising it. But, you know, at the time, I was thinking this, and I was excited, I was excited as anybody. But I was thinking, you know, there are two types of guys who get universal praise. There are the guys who are really great, and then there are the guys who, like, know how to, which friends to make in the media who will kind of pump up their candidacy. And you never really know which is which. The other thing is, you know, we see this all the time. You know, we see it in the draft with players. We see it with coaches. A guy can be great on paper. A guy can have like the perfect resume for a GM on paper, but you never know how they're actually going to do until they step into the big job. You know, Joe Douglas has been, a, has been better than Mike McCaffrey. I think he's been better, better than John Isik. Um, I think he, prior to last offseason, his plan made a lot of sense, where he had a very steady approach, where he really valued draft picks, and that's really the only way you can win in the NFL. Uh, you know, other sports like you know the NBA, there are a lot of different ways you can win. You can stockpile assets and you. Know, build a team through the trade market. You can make yourself a free agent destination. And the NFL is really the only way to build through the, the only way to win is to build through the draft. And as you mentioned, Douglas had one of the greatest drafts in franchise history in 2022. They had four top 40 picks and the way Jermaine Johnson played this year, I think you could say it looks like he nailed all four. Um, but there have been a lot of misses. And you, you mentioned his free agency record is just really bad. Um, you know, he's, run free agency, I think, four off-seasons. I think the only two guys you could say have who have had multiple above-average seasons who Douglas signed are Connor McGovern and uh, DJ Reed. Uh, a lot a lot of misses, and they've also played into the Jets' cap situation. The Jets are not entering this off-season with a lot of cap space. And, you know, it's cap space I think people misunderstand. It's not necessarily bad to have a tight cap. But the team, it's not bad to have a tight cap if you have like a roster that's really, really good. They just have half a Super Bowl roster. Their defense is excellent. Their defense is Super Bowl worthy. They have like a 
top five draft pick level of talent on offense. And that's even with Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall. So you look at the lack of talent on the offensive side of the ball and you say, you know, they should not be as tight uh, against the salary cap as they are. You know, as you mentioned, there have been some good trades. Um, but, you know, the draft record's mixed. There's, there was the excellent 2022 draft. You mentioned Zach Wilson. I'll give you another one. His first draft pick was Mekhi Becton, who he drafted over Tristan Wirfs. And even at the time, I remember thinking, that's a swing for the fences. Because I think everybody knew Wirfs was the safer pick. Like, there was a really good chance Wirfs was going to be a solid player in the NFL. Becton, it was kind of up in the air. If he hit, he was really going to hit. If he missed, you know, the floor was much lower. And at the time, Douglas was new. So, you know, you give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he knows something that we don't know. Well, I know Becton's been injured, but it's very difficult, even the Becton that stayed healthy, to envision that he would have been better than Tristan Wirfs. And this kind of, like, plays into, like, what I think one of the bigger issues with Douglas is. Douglas falls in love with, like, athletic traits. You know, he wants the big guys. He wants the strong guys. He wants guys with great speed. And that's, these are good things, obviously. You know, it's better to be big than small in football. It's better to be fast than slow. But you also need to, like, have – you also need to know how to play your position. Douglas drafts a lot of guys, and even in free agency, he brings in a lot of guys with tremendous attributes. And I think he banks on the coaching staff to be able to coach them up. And it hasn't worked very well so far. And, you know, the end result is the Jets have still not had a winning season since he's been here. He's been here since 2019. Now, 2019, as you mentioned, they, I hired him at the end of the offseason. Okay, fine. That, that wasn't really his team. 2020, you know, they didn't have a lot of resources that offseason. So, again, you can move past. Even 2021, you could say, okay, that's the first, that was the first year where he actually had resources to start to build the team. But now we're 2022, 2023. We still haven't seen a winning record. And, you know, I guess the other point that I'd make is that, you know, the Jets may have 7 and 10, but this was kind of a shaky 7 and 10. I mean, they beat some really bad teams down the stretch to kind of pump up their record. And, you know, the Jets really, for a stretch this season, were playing as badly as any team in the NFL. And I guess the point I'd make is that if you need Aaron Rodgers just to be a winning team, it says to me the rest, the rest of the roster is not good enough. Yeah, so you get Aaron Rodgers here. Obviously, it, they didn't get what they wanted out of him last year where they thought, oh, we're going to get him, we're going to write the Super Bowl here. He misses the whole year of the injury, tries to miraculous comeback, ends up not happening because the Jets are out of it here. But now he's presumably got a whole offseason to be healthy here. They, they hope, hopefully they could build the lineup around him better here. Rodgers obviously gives him a higher ceiling quarterback they've had since probably the Brett Favre years. So what do you think the, the Jets can expect out of Rodgers next year? Well, I think they're expecting him to be playing at an MVP level. And I'm not sure how realistic that is. Because, you know, he's 40. He's coming off an Achilles injury. Um, there were some circumstantial signs that even that last year at Green Bay, maybe he was declining a bit. I mean, 2022 was the worst season of his career. Now, there were mitigating factors also. He played much of the season with an injury to his throwing hand, which, you know, if you're a quarterback, that's a pretty big deal. Um, the group around him in Green Bay, you know, wasn't so great that year, although they imported a lot of those guys to the Jets this past season. Um, and this is, I think, one of the dangers for the Jets is that expectations around Rodgers might be too high. And I think Rodgers could still be a good quarterback in this league. He's still smart as ever. I think the arm, you know, we haven't seen him in a year, but based on what we saw last year, uh, 2022 in Green Bay, the arm's still pretty good. You know, he can still make most of the throws he used to make. What's kind of gone away, though, and it's going to decline further because of the injury, because this is just like the nature of the injury he suffered, He's not as new, he's not nearly as mobile as he used to be, and that was that was clear. Like even that last season or two in Green Bay, 
But now coming off an Achilles injury, I mean, for a 40-year-old quarterback, that's pretty much going to confine him to the pocket. So the idea that like Aaron Rodgers is going to be at 40 is going to play at the same level he did at 30, I don't know that that's necessarily true. Now, if you build a good offensive line around him and allow him to play from the, from a clean pocket, you know, he's going to tear defenses off. If you give him good receivers who can get open, you know, he'll find them. But I think the danger right now is that the Jets have this mindset that in the Jets, this is one of the issues with the Jets is that they're not always honest with their internal assessments of themselves. They frequently kind of try and talk themselves into being closer than they really are. If you build this offense around Rodgers, you can have a really good team. He can have a really good year. But if you're expecting Rodgers to like put the cape on and be Superman next year, you might be a little disappointed. Yeah, that's true here. And, uh, Obviously, you have some free agency stuff to deal with here. The Jets have a bunch of their own free agents they have to consider here. Obviously, some big names on the board here. Both specialists, uh, Greg Zerline, Thomas Morstead, the Jets probably look to retain. Ashton Davis had a good year as a free agent. Jordan Whitehead, Mekhi Becton. The Bryce Huff question stands out. Like, Which race do the Jets look to retain? Who do you think they're actually going to end up keeping? I mean, to me, like, Bryce Huff, re-signing Bryce Huff is the most obvious thing in the world. Like, I just can't get over like how the Jets complicate the simplest thing. This is a you know, kid who's 25. He posted 10 sacks when he played less than half the snaps. I don't care what your situation is. This is someone you should be trying to keep. But I, I just don't get the feeling they're, they're that interested in keeping him. I, I don't understand. I know their defensive line is good, but I mean, this is a guy that should be good for the next three to four years. He should be a premium edge rusher in the next couple of seasons. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of interest. I mean, I said a year ago that they should try and resign him. And that was at a point where he was really playing more of a situational pass rush role. I said during the season, they should try and resign him. And they just haven't really shown much interest in keeping Huff around. So, you know, it, I think that the guys they will keep are the two specialists. Uh, Greg Zerline, Thomas Morstead both had excellent seasons. So I think those are the guys, and they shouldn't be that difficult to, to resign. I think Ashton Davis, you know, one of the things about Ashton Davis is people kind of miss this because he, you know, he struggled his first couple of years playing safety. He, well, they listed him as a safety, like in the program. He was actually playing, I thought, more of like a linebacker type role. Um, you know, a couple of years ago when he set, when he was a starting safety, they had him play the deep middle a lot. This year, they had him playing closer to the line of scrimmage much more frequently, and that seemed like a role that suited him better. And that's something like the Jets uh, when Robert Tala came in, they like kind of focused on finding safeties and putting them at, moving them to linebacker. They drafted a couple of guys. Uh, Thompson Nashville Dean and Jamie and Sherwood, who, who are still on the team who were college safeties, and they put him at linebacker. Uh, they also tried to sign Keon O'Neill, a longtime Falcon, who was also a safety and put him at linebacker. So I think it's just coaching staff. Like they like the they like a guy like Davis is maybe a little bit smaller, but brings extra speed to the linebacker position. And again, even though he's technically like listed as a safety, I kind of viewed him as more like a number three linebacker because besides CJ Mosley and uh, Quincy Williams. And I think that you know he shouldn't be that difficult to keep around. I can't imagine he's going to get a big contract and he's he developed into a nice role player. So I think that those are the guys that Jets will focus on, but man, it's, it's upsetting to me that they don't want to keep up because 10 sacks, 25 years old, less than half the snaps. This is a no brainer, but they don't want to do it. Yeah. I don't understand that one. And we'll see if they try to do a tag and trade situation with him. But uh, I think that you mentioned the cap situation here is that, they are very, they are tight to the cap. They do have the ability to generate some room here. Like, do you feel like there's anybody you're looking at is, oh, this is a potential cap casualty or a restructure a contract here? I think the Jets are going to make more room because as the Saints have shown us for years, like, you can play with the cap wherever you want. You can just keep kicking the can down the road. I feel like it's something they're going to try and do this year. 
Yeah, I think they're going to try and load up around Rodgers for you know what could be his last season. Um, the thing with the Jets is like there aren't that many guys who they can cut to create a lot of cap space, and that's because like they did a lot of kicking the can down the road last season. So the Bills coming due for a lot of guys that they restructured a year ago. I think CJ Uzama is the obvious guy, but because they restructured his deal a year ago, um, they're not only that's only going to save something like five six million dollars. Um, you know, and there's been already been rumors that maybe DJ Reed's a guy that they may look to trade, which would be unfortunate because DJ Reed's an excellent corner. DJ Reed's one of the top number two corners in the league. He'd be a number one corner for a lot of teams, but the cap situation may just necessitate it. You still have Sauce Gardner at corner if you trade Reed. You still have Michael Carter the second in the slot. You're still going to have an above average corner group. Um, so that might be an area that, where they go. But I think you'll probably also see a lot of just restructures where you lower the cap hit in the short run. And you just push that, you push that money to the future because there aren't a lot of, if you look through the cap situation, I mean, they could cut Lakin Tomlinson. To be honest with you, I might do that if I were them because Lakin Tomlinson has been a big disappointment and I think it would save over $10 million in cap space. I don't think they're going to do that. Though. And the other issue with that is that, you know, even if you save $10 million cutting Lakin Tomlinson, you need a new left guard. So a lot of that money is going to have to go to replacing him. You know, CJ Mosley is another guy who would save a decent amount of cap space if they, you cut or trade him, but I think they view Mosley as one of the leaders of the team, so I don't think they want to do that. So my guess is, you know, we're just going to see more restructures this year. You know, we push more dead money down the line and create cap space to load up as much as they can around Rodgers for 24. Yeah, obviously the offensive line is the biggest issue they have right now in free trying to upgrade the team, the free agency, the draft here, because obviously Joe Tipman looks like he's the keeper at center. Elijah Vera Tucker, they seem to think that moving him around was the reason he got hurt so much, so they're probably going to pick a position and stick it for it with him. That's not what you guys really count on, because they said Tomlinson's here, but you don't really trust him. Neither tackle's going to be back here. Max Mitchell and Carter Warren haven't shown much here, so if John Butchko is in charge of building the jet line, how would he do it? You know, I actually might look at putting Pittman at guard. So, I like I told you, I would cut Tomlinson. I thought Pittman played better at guard than he did at center this year. Um, so, I think, I, I think my two guards might be Tippmann and Vera Tucker, and then maybe try and find a sense. Maybe you bring back Connor McGovern. Um, free agency is tough because they're, you know, tackles. We got to a point in the end about where good tackles not going to hit free agency. The big name out there who you've already heard rumors about is Tyron Smith with Dallas. And look, uh, that's a guy who's been an excellent player through the years, one of the best uh, tackles in the NFL. But, uh, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30. He's injured a lot. I'm not saying like it's the exact same thing as Dwayne Brown. Is he younger? He's better than Dwayne Brown's ever been. But didn't we just do this already? Didn't we just like count on a guy in his 30s who can't stay healthy? Or you know, Brown had been durable for much of his career, but he was coming off an injury this year. I mean, didn't we just try and go with a, an injured guy who's older at the uh, left tackle position? You know, Trent Brown's another guy in his 30s from New England who I've heard some rumors about. I would try and find like a younger guy. Um, there's actually another guy from New England, Michael Wenu, who that might be the guy I focus on. And then maybe in the draft at 10, you hope, um, you know, I don't know if Joe Alt's going to fall, but there, there might be a good tackle prospect available at 10. And I, maybe you fill it that way. Yeah, it's one option. The other option to consider here is the receiver situation, because obviously they were benching Lazar at the end of the year. He was not very helpful. Cobb is gone. You're looking here, like, what, who's got the behind Gary Wilson? You know, the Devontae Adams rumors are already swirling. You got the trade for him. They have a lot of free agents here. Like, I think a Jets attack receiver. 
Yeah, I think that it, it depends on who actually hits the market because, you know, the guy I would love is T. Higgins uh, from Cincinnati. I think he'd, he'd be a perfect compliment to Garrett Wilson. You know, he's already been like a really high-end number two receiver uh, working his, wrote most of his career with Jamar Chase. I think stylistically, you know, a bigger guy. Um, I think he'd be a great fit with Garrett Wilson. Will he hit the market? I don't know. Uh, you know, Michael Pittman with the Colts, another guy conceivably could hit the market or may not. I, I would like to see the Jets like focus on receivers who are like, you know, in their mid twenties, guys who are in their primes. I, you know, the Devontae Adams rumors are going to pick up. I don't know if he's the right guy for the Jets because in the first year, his cap number is pretty reasonable, but it really grows in year two and year three of that contract if you trade for it. And, you know, he's getting older and he's still very good. He'd be far and away the second best receiver the Jets have right now, but his production went down last year. And when your production goes down in the 30, in your 30s, it's always a red flag. So I'd like to see the Jets focus on getting younger. Um, I think, you know, a guy who could be interesting to me, uh, maybe a buy-low candidate would be a Hollywood Brown uh, from Arizona who brings a lot of speed to the table. And then, yeah, I mean, the other spot you could look, that's the, the other, receiver's the other spot you could look at the tenth overall pick. There are a couple of talented guys who maybe fall at Roma Duze from Washington, who's, you know, more of a possession guy. And then Malik Davis out of LSU who's more of a speed guy. You know, both guys who look like really promising prospects, and you know, you pair them with Garrett Wilson. Suddenly, this guy, suddenly this receiving group doesn't look so bad. Yeah, I think the thing that scares you, Adams, too, is like you have a trade for him. The Jets already are down a second round pick because they have to send it to Green Bay to complete the Rodgers trade. And like, how many picks are you sending out for the future here to bring in a guy who's on the wrong side of 30? Yeah, uh, you absolutely. And they didn't have a third round pick last year. And you know, like, it's one of those things that's like really small, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but. You know, two, three years down the line, if you keep giving away day two picks and not replacing them, your roster becomes barren. And people are like, wait, why is this roster so shaky? And it's well, it's because you gave away like all your chances to add premium young talent. So you have to find the balance. I'm not saying you never trade a pick away, but you can't keep having draft classes where you're short on day two picks because day two is where the meat of the draft is. That's, that's kind of like the best combination where there's still a lot of elite prospects available. And the salary is so low the first couple of years. If you hit on one, you found gold. Yeah, yeah, for sure here. Back up quarterback, where do you think they look? Because obviously, you know, they're going to trade Wilson probably a day three pick here. I, we've heard Jacoby Brissett. We've heard a couple of other rumors who guys were familiar with the system here. What do you think they're looking at? Yeah, I think it'll be a Brissett type guy. I think that, I, I think look, the Jets organization is always very reactive. Um, so I think that, like, what they'll do is they'll look at this. They say, we went with the young guy last year, um, didn't work. So now we're going to go find a veteran. Um, I think Jacoby Brissett's one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL. The question with him is, he's like, he's one of those guys who's like a low-level starter, high-level backup. So somebody like him is always there's always going to be like some opportunity where team where teams drafting a rookie quarterback. He's going to be able to go and be the veteran who competes for the starting job with the rookie. So the question is like whether he'd be willing to take a pure backup job. And not sure what the answer to that is, but I think it's going to be somebody like that, you know, it could be like a high-end guy, a bigger name backup, maybe a Gardner Minshew. Um, so somebody, somebody along those lines, because I think the way the Jets are looking at it is the Jets kind of view it as like Rogers getting injured is what sunk their season last year. And, you know, they kind of realized they probably should not have gone with Zach Wilson. And I mean, for me, like the issue with Zach Wilson wasn't, wasn't as much that like they should have gotten somebody better because I don't, you know, I don't know that any quarterback, I don't think Jacoby Brissett would have had success behind this offensive line with this group of receivers last year. 
for me, the issue with Zach Wilson was that they said, oh, we're putting him on the bench to develop him. We're going to let him sit for a couple of years. Well, if that's the plan, I don't see how like you put it, leave him one hit away from taking over as your starting quarterback. That didn't make a lot of sense. But I think the Jets mindset is we need to find a better backup because Rodgers going down is what fucked the season. So this year we're going to get a veteran. Yeah, I got two more questions here. Obviously, the, the big asset here in the draft, number 10 pick, where they got Garrett Wilson a few years ago. Now they have options here. Most likely they're looking receiver or, or tackle, I would guess, here. We don't know right now, like, if there's a guy they want who's going to slide. Like, do they consider going up a pick or two? Do they go down a little bit if the guys they want aren't there? Or they see, like, a bunch of receivers here? Like, what do you think the Jets do at number 10? My guess is they stay put. I mean, I don't think they can really move up. I, I just... I mean, part of it's like what I just mentioned that I don't think that um, they can afford to trade picks, but also like just in a pragmatic standpoint, because they don't have a second round pick, they don't really have a lot of assets they could they could use to trade, even if they wanted to move up. So, I mean, I would like to see that. I wouldn't mind seeing them move down just to pick up an extra pick or two. And just the other thing that people don't realize in the NFL teams are really, really overconfident about their evaluations. And, Frequently, like the best guy in a position, is not the first guy off the board. In 2020, Justin Jefferson was the fifth wide receiver off the board. So the NFL got it right. I mean, he was a first-round pick, but four receivers went before him. So, you know, sometimes you get a guy who's just as good, if not better, by just trading down a couple of slots. And I think that, generally speaking, people overrate how much better how much better off you are to have pick 10 versus pick 15. Now, you're better off having pick 10, but if you can add, like, I don't know, extra third round pick you're usually better off having 15 plus the third round pick versus just 10 then will the Jets see it that way I mean Joe Douglas hasn't really been a big trade down guy I mean, he's done it a couple times his first draft he traded down in the second round when he drafted Denzel Mims my guess is Jeff will just stay at 10 and it's going to be it's, I mean, if they say at 10 I can almost guarantee it's going to be either tackle or receiver and you know, if it's receiver I think Adunze and uh, Neighbors are probably the two guys who are most likely yeah, obviously, the last question here is obviously we've heard from Douglas, Rogers, Sala, basically next year we have to win or pretty much everybody's gone. I know Woody Johnson, for some stupid reason, will not say playoff mandate, but we all know what the deal is here. Like, how important is next season for this team? Um, very important. You know, they invested a lot to get Rogers. This is the whole plan, you know, as you mentioned. I mean, whether Woody Johnson says it or not, I mean, everybody knows there's a playoff mandate. Um, you know, Joe Douglas will be year six for Joe Douglas. Um, they haven't made the playoffs yet. How many GMs survive six years of no playoffs? This will be year four for Robert Sala. You know, Mike, uh, you may remember, Tom Coughlin won two Super Bowls with the Giants. This is a guy who had two Super Bowls worth of equity. He got let go. I mean, I know they phrased phrases like a mutual party, but in 2015, that was their four, Giants' fourth straight year of missing the playoffs after Coughlin. Two Super Bowls couldn't save him. So, I mean, I think a lot's on the line. I think, you know, Robert Sala and Joe Douglas's jobs are both on the line. I think Woody Johnson gave them a pass because of Rodgers this year. And I think that, you know, the Jets always viewed this as kind of like a two-year plan. So I think it's all on the line. I think it's playoffs are bust. And if they miss the playoffs, we're probably going to be talking about get GM and coaching search this time next year. Yeah, and one final point I'll mention here is like, I know what I saw on Twitter, I forget who said it the other day, but it's a very interesting point. Like, you look at the top five teams in the 2022 drafts just two years ago. Jacksonville, Detroit, Houston, the Jets, and the Giants. Four of those five have won a playoff game in that two years since. The Jets are going on 13 years without even making the playoffs here, which goes to show you that, like, 
The idea that you need 13 years to rebuild is very, very bad and very wrong. So something has not gone right with this franchise. He's just starting to figure out what it is. So I, I think it's the owner. I mean, the owner, the ownership's the only thing that stayed the same. Um, I think, you know, I know Woody Johnson went over. He was the ambassador to the UK for a while, but his brother took over. And at some point, you have to say, like, what's the, we've seen GMs come and leave. We've seen coaches come and leave. We've seen players, you know, they've turned through, they've turned over rosters. They've turned, turned the roster over, over, and over. At some point, yes, I'm saying the only thing that's common is the Johnson brothers as owners. And you just hope that they maybe they start to learn from some of their mistakes. Because you're absolutely right. There's no five-year rebuild in the NFL these days. I mean, you should be able to, you can turn your roster over completely within two years. And, you know, for the Jets, they've just, it's kind of difficult. I don't know if you could go 13 years. In, a lot of people would struggle to go 13 years without playoffs, even if they were trying to do it in the NFL. The Jets are just like, found a way to disappoint us all. Yeah, and next year is very important also because that 2022 class of, of players here, they're all going to be coming close to the end of their contracts here. And you think if this blows up again, maybe you start getting the rumors of, you know, like Sauce wants out or Garrett Wilson wants out, and then the cycle starts all over again. The guy I'm really worried about is Garrett just because, like, you can see, like, this is co- this quarterback play is costing good money. You know, he's, he should be putting up better stats than he is. He's doing his job. He's not getting the ball. Hopefully that's something Rodgers remedies because with Aaron Rodgers, maybe Garrett Wilson put up better numbers. Maybe he'll be happy, but that's the one that, you know, of all the guys, Garrett Wilson's the one I worry about because his livelihood, you know, when you go to the, when you go to the market, when you try and get a new contract, they're looking at your stats and Garrett Wilson's stats are being held down by the infrastructure of this offense. So hopefully that's something Rodgers fixes. But yeah, that's the guy I'm really worried about in that group. Yeah. Cause right now he's having the Larry Fitzgerald career path. I don't think he's any desire following that all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> All right, John. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. People want to follow the Locked On Jets podcast. Give us some of your Jets coverage. How can they do that? So you can uh, Locked On Jets is available where podcasts are found. You can also find us on YouTube. Uh, subscribe, uh, and we'll, you'll get new episodes delivered uh, as they're posted. And then you can read my writing at gangreennation.com, which is SB Nation's New York Jets site. All right, John. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Mike. Show me the money. All right, show me the money. NFL picks for championship weekend right here. Just three football games left in the season. Joining me today on the hotline to do his picks here. Uh, we talked to him back in week 10 about his Giants. Justin Diaz back with us here. Justin, how are you? I'm doing great, Mike. Always a pleasure being on with you. I love talking to you about football. Uh, thanks for having me on. How are you? I'm doing pretty good here. And uh, I got to say here, definitely a lot of fun this weekend with the football. Before we get to it, though, since you're a giant guy, what are you looking forward to this offseason with this franchise? What do you think they got to do? What am I looking forward to? That's a loaded question. Because, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> There's usually not much to look forward to as a Giants fan. I would say... There's so many different directions they could go, and there's so much uncertainty. So I'm very curious how they're viewing it from the quarterback perspective because I feel like if they had a top two or three pick, it would be a pretty easy decision. Uh, you, you go with Drake May or Caleb Williams having the sixth pick. It's not nearly as straightforward. They might not like any of the guys that are going to reach them. Trading up is going to be come at a tremendous cost this year given how highly the prospects are looked at and then there's also the Daniel Jones element where he still has another year at a very high salary as 
terrible as they all looked, and, and including him, it's still, I don't think it's fair to say he, he's horrible or he, he's a complete bust and he can't succeed. The whole team is terrible. So there's so much uncertainty around quarterback that I'm, I am looking forward to seeing how that uh, story unfolds. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think that's an interesting point to watch the Giants, too, because obviously, I mean, like, their options are kind of limited because I feel like it's either you trade up to one with the Bears, you're kind of left with whoever the third or fourth guy on the board is. Exactly, and you can't force it. I mean, I don't know what they think of the other guy. What is, uh, the LSU guy, um, Jaden Williams? What is his name? I'm sorry. Jayden, Can you remind me? Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels. Um, I, it, it's so the whole it's going to be very interesting to see how the quarterbacks, uh, that whole, like the, who takes who, who trades up, even the bears. There's a lot of uncertainty. I, I think they'll take Caleb. Um, but there's a lot, I feel like at least in the media and the fan base, it's very divided. If they should trade the pick or if they should just keep fields or if they should take Caleb. So there's a lot of, uh, drama that's going to unfold with the, who takes quarterbacks, who is the, I mean, I still think Caleb's going to be taken first, but, he struggled a little bit this year, so it's definitely going to be a very interesting uh, story to watch unfold. Yeah, for sure here. And uh, let's get to divisional round recap here. Because obviously, I shared my thoughts at the top of the podcast. What's your take from the last weekend's games? I thought it was a great weekend of games. Uh, the the Ravens Texans game wasn't very close after the first half. I think so. I just to give context, I took I bet on the Niners and Ravens meeting in the Super Bowl. Actually, to be specific. I bet on the Niners beating the Ravens in the Super Bowl. So I had a very vested interest on them both winning. I'm sitting there watching the Ravens-Texans game, which, and I'm like, great. Like, I'm going to lose this bet in the very first game. But I think the Texans took a freaking punt return for a touchdown. Once those crazy special teams play happen against you, you're, you auto, you think that's how you lose when, when you're betting on a heavy favorite. Uh, but then the Ravens defense just completely shut down the Texans. Lamar had a great game. That game was, you know, it unfolded pretty much how you expected in the second half. Packers-Niners game, that the Niners did not look good. It, it really, Brock was missing throw after throw. Um, Debo is obviously questionable to play now. So as someone who, needed, who needs the Niners to win again, I'm not nearly as confident as I would have normally been uh, with them going up against the Lions. Um, who, who does that leave us with? Bill's Chiefs, obviously, great game. That I, I was rooting for the Bills just from a, I'm kind of sick of seeing the Chiefs win. I'm sick of seeing Taylor Swift celebrate in the box uh, in the suite. Um, great game, though. I mean, I think people automatically by default want to blame Josh Allen a little bit, uh, saying, you know, he could have made a better decision on second and nine and set up for a first down, but I thought he played incredibly well. Uh, obviously, maybe they could have handled that differently. Uh, what other what other game was there? Am I missing? Oh, Bucks, Bucks, Lions, whatever. There's nothing interesting about that game. The Lions played well. Bucks hung in there, but the Lions obviously were going to win that game the whole time. Uh, I, I think the most interesting game though was Bills Chiefs. That was a, that was a great great game, and it, 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 I feel I don't know. I I I, root, I think everyone roots for Josh Allen at this point, and everyone kind of other than Chiefs fans wanted to see them win. Uh, but it, it was just Mahomes, man. He, he's he, he just finds a way to get it done. What did, what did you think of that game? Oh, I thought for sure. I was like, if anybody's ever, if this is ever the year for Buffalo to do it, when they have a vulnerable cheat team, really has two weapons on the passing game and has some issues like with like the line and whatnot, I thought this would be the year for Buffalo. The fact it doesn't happen, like 
makes you wonder. I don't think it's ever going to happen with this group. They might be like the Phillip Rivers Chargers, to be honest with you. They get there every year, but they just have trouble. They cannot get over the hump. Yeah, it does feel like that. But then, And, like, you want to think logically about these things. Josh Allen, I think the most pessimistic Josh Allen person would say is a top-five quarterback. I, I can't imagine someone saying there's, there's five quarterbacks better than him. I personally think he's second-best. If you have the second-best quarterback in the league, it should happen. Not should. It easily could and likely will happen at some point where you'll get over the hump. But I agree. I mean, everything was in line. The Chiefs, you said two weapons in offense. I mean, Kelsey's extremely slowed down, but he's still good. Rasheed Rice is a nice player, but I mean, I I wouldn't put him ahead of I, – I, I wouldn't call him like a, a number one receiver yet. Um, and then I don't even know – like. Mark, Mark Hesvalding Stanley. I don't even know how to say his name anymore. <laughs> he's, he's like a, just a guy. They have, they have just a bunch of guys, and Mahomes is just out there making it happen. I agree. They're gonna. I would assume they'll they'll address the receiver position this off season. Their defense is actually very good now, so this did feel like the best opportunity for the Bills to beat them, and it just didn't get done. So, yeah, I, I you never you can never say. I, I keep seeing articles is the is the Bills window closed. Your window is not closed when you have it, um, an elite MVP caliber quarterback who's 27 years old. But it's going to feel it, it does. It is starting to give me a Philip Rivers Chargers feeling to it for sure. Yeah, for sure. Here and uh, let's get to the games ahead this week. Let's talk. Let's break down the games for you. The picks here. So Chiefs Ravens up first here. They did not play this year. We have Lamar and uh, Mahomes have not met in the playoffs yet. Here Ravens have basically destroyed where they've actually when they've actually tried the last second. Last half of the season here. Chiefs have the Mahomes playoff experience. What do you think about this game? I think, the, I mean, again, I, I have, I'm very biased given the bet I've placed. I do think the Ravens will win. Their defense looks unbelievable. Lamar looks great. They seem to be clicking on all cylinders. I do say, I will say, there's times when I see the issues with the Ravens' offense from the past, meaning, the passage that in the pocket passing game seems to be off sometimes. And I'm sure that like there was a lot, a lot of that game, uh, Ravens Texans was Lamar just running and making it work. And he did make some great, he always makes great. There's an incredible passer. I do think the story of Lamar isn't a traditional quarterback or what, what did that one guy say? He's not quarterbacky enough. Who, who said that? Do you remember? I do not remember that. Well, it was a bullshit statement, and there's a lot of issues with it. Lamar's incredible. However, they do still sometimes worry me when they need a big pass or just a, a traditional quote-unquote passing game. Uh, I, Isaiah Flowers is very good, but they don't if, – if, if is a huge if. If a defense somehow can contain Lamar from running, there's still the question of do they have enough in the passing game to make it work. I definitely think they do this year, um, and I think that'll they'll make it work. But again, you're facing Patrick Mahomes. He's a magician. He seems to always find a way. That being said, I do like the Ravens minus three. Uh, I think they'll, their defense is just going to really make it a hard day on the Chiefs, and uh, Lamar Jackson will show enough magic to get it done. Yeah, so we'll go ahead. We'll say the, we'll go over the picks in a minute here, but we'll, in terms of just a breakdown of the night game here, 49ers-Lions here. My perspective on this game, I wonder if you agree with me here. I feel like this, I feel like that there is certainly house money in play for the Lions here, and I think the key to this yeah. entire game is if Debo is healthy, 
I think it's much easier for 49ers, but if he's not, I think Troy has a shot to steal this. Debo, I mean, the stats around him playing versus not playing, I believe they're 8-9 and nine since Debo has been on the team when he does not play. And then when he does play, they're, they're like 20 games over 500 or something. And obviously it's not just him, but he is a huge difference maker. He's so versatile. I, I mean, they're saying 50-50, and it's a left shoulder injury that's not broken. I I mean, it's easy for me to say because I'm sitting on my couch eating wings while watching. <laughs> I would imagine he's going <laughs> NFC Championship game. Debo Samuel is a very tough guy. I'd be shocked if he doesn't play. And then obviously there's the question of effectiveness. I mean, if it was his hamstring or a knee injury, I would say that would hamper him a lot more. Left shoulder, I'm sure it'll be extremely painful. They're going to inject him with God knows what and he'll numb the heck out of it. I think he'll be able to be effective. They're going to use him like they always do, get him the ball in space. I think he plays, and I think the Niners win. Uh, but the, the Lions, I mean, they're such a greatly – they're such a well-coached team. There's so many weapons on offense. They're not, they're not just going to lay a dud and, and not show up. I, I do think it'll be a competitive game. Yeah, for sure. Let's get to the pick recap here, which is what we're here for here. So last week I had – Troy Moriello on. He went two and two. He laid the six six points to the Lions. He got that right. He had the Chiefs getting the two and a half. Got that one right also. He took the points of the Texans. Was good for about a half. They got blown out. And also the 49ers laying a nine and a half. So that was a loss. So two and two for Troy last week. What did you, and what did you take? I went two and two. I laid the points of the Ravens. I laid the points of the Lions. I lost the Niners and I was on Buffalo. I said, if any, this is the year Buffalo's going to do it. And they let me down at the end of the game. I fully thought the Buffalo Bills were going to win too, so don't blame you there. I think I would have agreed with all your picks last week. I, I would have went the same way. I went straight favorites last week. So on the year, Challenger team is thirty-two and thirty-two. They're five and five in the playoffs. I'm thirty-four, twenty-nine and one. Also five and five in the playoffs here. I've been very like break even in the playoffs here. It's like I've been on the right side of the outcome most of the ways, but like the spreads a couple times have hurt me. Yeah, picking with the spread is hard. That's. That's why Vegas always wins. It's, it's not easy. It is not easy. And we're going to go ahead. We're going to pick the games now. There's only two, so we're going to go in order here. We're going to start with the AFC Championship game. Chiefs at the Ravens. First championship game in Baltimore since the 70s. Escape Sunday at 3 on Fox. The Ravens are laying 3. Justin, you said earlier, taking the late Ravens laying the 3. Why? I just think the Ravens. The, I, I mean, not think. The Ravens are clearly the best team in the league this year overall. Their defense is dominant. Lamar Jackson is playing incredible football. Uh, I, I just think they're going to get it done and get the Super Bowl. I, I'm just so excited for this game. Seeing two quarterbacks at the peak of their powers, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, both first ballot Hall of Famers. I personally think Mahomes is the best quarterback of all time. Lamar is going to be a two-time MVP at 27 years old. I mean, Dex, this is what playoff football is all about. I can't wait for it. Ravens minus three is my pick. I'm with you there on the Ravens here. I said it last week. When the Ravens try this year, and they have been, tr- like, since the second half, not counting that week 18 game, they had no desire to play that game. They were everything locked up here. Nobody's been close to them at the end of these games. They're blowing people out here. And I think this is a spot where, again, sort of like the Buffalo thing, like, if not now, when? You have Lamar playing at MVP level. You have a great defense. You're at home with the rowdy Ravens fans. It's like a college environment down there. It's a intense experience for the Chiefs, and 
I think this, they just don't have enough firepower to deal with the Ravens. And the run game is going to be key here. I think they're going to run the ball down their throats. I think they're going to win by a touchdown and get the Super Bowl. Totally agree with you, Mike. All right. Second pick here. The NFC Championship game, the Lions at the 49ers, Sunday at 640 on Fox. The 49ers are laying six and a half. I know Justin has said he thinks the 49ers are going to the Super Bowl here, but are you laying the points? I am laying the points, minus six and a half. The Niners, I mean, they're, they're, you can see pretty much see how the game is going to unfold very early with them. If they take an early lead, they become this unstoppable force because they can lean heavily on the running game. They give the ball to McCaffrey a lot. They do a lot of these screens where they get their playmakers the ball in open space. If they go down early, like they did against Green Bay, it becomes a totally different game. Um, I, I think Purdy's good, if not very good. I know there's some question marks about him after this last game. That being said, when they go down, he does tend to struggle a little bit more. I just think they're going to, Debo's going to play. They're going to score early. Uh, they're going to run the ball extremely effectively. The Lions defense isn't very good. Uh, and then once the Niners take a lead, they're, they're so hard to stop on offense. And their pass rushers can get after Goff. And I, and I do think they'll win the game comfortably and cover the spread. All right. I'm going heads up here. I'm going to take the points in this game for a couple of reasons here. Number one, I think, again, the Debo thing scares me because even if he plays, he's not getting 100%. And that offense flows a lot differently when he's not at 100%. Number two, we saw the Packers last week expose how to get Purdy unsettled by basically sending rushers right at him here, and the Lions capable of doing that. And the Lions playing with house money here, that's a lot of points he laying in an NFC Championship game here. Like, I think there's a good chance this thing goes down to the wire anyway. So give me the points. I'll take the Lions here. That's totally fair. The, the Lions are a very good team. Uh, just to counter your point, the Packers did lay out a game plan at work. However, the Niners do have a man by the name of Kyle Shanahan, who I personally think is the best offensive mind of our generation. He's going to game plan knowing that the Lions saw what the Packers did. They'll counter it. They'll figure it out. But, hey, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a good game. If I was a, if I was betting on this spread specifically, I, it would be a coin toss to me. It, it should be. It, it's a very tough game to call. All right, so reset the picks here. We are both taking the Ravens, laying the three in the AFC Championship game. NFC Championship game, Justin is laying the six and a half with the 49ers. I am taking the six and a half points with the Lions here. So those are your picks for Championship Sunday. And we'll be back in a couple weeks here. We're taking next week off for this segment. We're going to be joined in two weeks by Martino Puccio for a Super Bowl betting special. We'll cover all the angles of betting the game. And I know you're probably going to put a lot of money down in this game, Justin, in the Super Bowl. Well, I mean... I hope if the Ravens and Niners make it, my bet's already set. Because I, I took, I think I said it before, but I took the Niners to beat the Ravens before the divisional round. Because on FanDuel, you can actually bet the Super Bowl matchup or the specific forecast. So if the Ravens and Niners both are there, I, I'm pretty set. I'm just going to let that bet ride. If not, I, I will see who's in it, and, and I'll probably take some action. It's, it's just not as fun. It's sad what gambling's done to all of us. It's not quite as entertaining when you don't have a little action on it. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's the new world we live in where we can make a bet just by making a few clicks on our phones. Yeah, for sure here. That's number, that's the, that's one thing here. I want to point that out. That's coming up here in two weeks here. Call this far, let you go here. Number one, give you a TV show recommendation here. People are not aware. You are Friends with uh, people, follow, you follow, people follow Justin on Instagram, Justin F. Diaz on Instagram, because there are some famous faces <laughs> pop up on his feet every now and then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, I happen to be friends with someone who's, uh, you're going to, uh, you're asking what the show about the traders, I'm assuming. Traders, I think it's called. My friend Pete's on it. Uh, it's a wildly entertaining show. It's very silly. Uh, it's very eccentric and out there, but it's a very cool competition. I highly recommend it. Obviously, Bias is one of my best friends is on it, but uh, I think it's, uh, anyone that I know watches says it's hilarious and entertaining. So definitely highly recommend it. I love the show personally, and Pete's been fun so far. I will say that. He, he knows that he's a good, he's an entertainer at heart. Like he, he knows how to entertain people. He, he, he's definitely a showman. Like he's good, has good shows and showmanship. Wow. That was a tongue, uh, tongue <laughs> twister. Uh, he's definitely entertaining. And, uh, yeah, he's a, he, he, it's definitely worth checking the show out for sure. Yeah. And point number two here, I will also throw out here while we were on the air, the hall of fame results came out here. Do you, did you happen to see who got elected? I got the notification, but I didn't look at it because I was focused on our conversation. Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Todd Helton. That is, I mean, all three are very deserving. Was that Maurer's first ballot? Yeah, Maurer and Beltre, both first ballot. Beltre, that was a gimme, like where you knew he would get in first ballot. I I definitely think Maurer is deserving. I'm actually very impressed by the voters because Maurer, if you look at the traditional counting stats, just doesn't have them. But given he was an elite catcher for so long, which that basically doesn't exist anymore. That, that obviously got him in. He's probably got to be a top 10 catcher of all time by like advanced statistics. So that's, that's good. And, and I feel like Helton was kind of like a borderline case to some people, but he had a great career. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people kind of diminished what he did because he was in Colorado the whole time, but great hitter. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah, just, I'm, I'm going to give more thoughts, deeper detail on the two-minute drill in a minute here, but just a couple of things to throw out here. Beltre got 95.1% of the vote. Todd Helton got 797 yeah. Joe Maurer got 761 Billy Wagner missed by five votes. He got 284 votes, and he had 289 to get in. And what? What? Uh, how long has he been on the ballot for? This, this is his ninth year. He has next, next year's his last shot. I think he's getting in next year. He's only five votes off right yeah, now. He'll... He'll 100% get in next year. That's how it works. I mean, do you get the uptick when you're – if you're close and you go into your last year, I'd be surprised if anyone has ever gotten that many votes and didn't eventually get in. You might know better than me, uh, but I feel like anyone that gets that close ultimately gets in. Yeah, Gary Sheffield missed out. I got 63.9% of the vote. Beltron went up to 57.1%, and David Wright stayed on the ballot. He got wow. 6, 6.2% of the vote. Captain America. I mean, I, I know he's your guy, but he's not getting in. He's not getting in. I, I said on the blog earlier, like I said, I, I have no issue with him not getting in. My argument has been, like, if Chase Utley is up there getting 28% of the vote, you look at their numbers here, David Wright played four or less years and has very similar numbers. How is the disparity so big? The point, well, I mean, it really comes down to longevity, and it's kind of silly because it's such an interesting. I love Hall of Fame voting for baseball. It's such an interesting process, and it obviously is silly and arbitrary sometimes. David Wright definitely had a long and good enough peak to get in, but then his career abruptly ended so early. So if he just managed to stay healthy enough to be mediocre for like four more years, he would have gotten in probably. But because he had the what spinal stenosis that just, I think his last year. I'm looking now. His last year was technically his 35, but those were he played token games just to get back on the field. His career was effectively over at 31, and then he played two more seasons. We played 38 and 37 games. If he, you know, had a normal decline where he managed to hang on for five years, maybe six, 
accumulated like, you know, one to two war a season, like hit 270, he'd probably get in. But because he didn't have those mediocre add-on years, that's probably what, that's what's preventing him, which it's silly when you think about it, but I guess voters have to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, it's, that's what I said. That was my argument in the, two, in the post. I'm like, Chase Utley, look at his numbers. Like, I'll go, go with the post real quick. I'll plug it for again, just on the suffering.wordpress.com if you want to see the debate on this here. They, they played basically four more, like, like, Utley played four more years than Wright, basically, in terms of actually getting on the field here. You look at their comparisons in terms of Wright has a higher batting average for his career on base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS. He, he won one more All-Star game. He won two gold gloves. Utley, with four more years playing, basically only has 17 more home runs and fifty-five and like 55 more RBIs. Yeah, no, it, it's true. I truly believe the big – well, I mean, there's also the fact Utley played second base, which gives him a, a bump because there's so few – second baseman in the hall actually third base kind of is a light position for the hall of fame too if i if i'm if i'm correct in that um it i mean it's fair it, it utley's not like clearly a better player he hung on longer and uh was uh, also i think the second base does give him a bump i i i wouldn't be i don't think right getting in would be egregious but i just personally don't think it's going to happen because of how quickly his career ended I agree. I think just based on the numbers, I don't think either of them belong in. But I mean, if Utley ends up getting in and Wright doesn't, you, I think I have a right to be annoyed. Fair. I, I do think Utley will get in. I, I when was his what was is he on the ballot yet? Yeah, he, this is his first year. He got twenty eight point eight percent of the vote. Wright got six point two. Yeah, I mean, I, I it'll be Utley is a very close case, uh, and their peaks are pretty similar. I think. Um, and Utley, I'm sure, will get like a bump because to some people, if he won a, I think he won two World World Series, which is funny when you say a baseball player won a World Series because it's obviously such a team sport. But you know how writers kind of the, the old school writers definitely value that. So it'll be interesting. Um, I, I, I really do love Hall of Fame voting. It, it just creates such funny, arbitrary arguments. Like here we are. Like David Wright hasn't been. No offense to him, but he hasn't been a particularly relevant baseball player in, in ten years. And and in twenty, I'm like his last good year is 2013. In 2024, we're arguing who had a better career than Chase Utley. That's, that's, and you don't really have arguments like that anymore. It's a lot. Everything's so analytical and statistic driven. Uh, but there's still the Hall of Fame kind of creates this, this this room for these funny arbitrary arguments. Yep, I'll go deeper into the two minute draw. Now you got to run, Justin. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Of course, anytime, Mike. Pleasure talking to you as always. Thanks for having me on. The two-minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time. While we were on the air with Justin in the pick segments, just a few minutes ago, the Hall of Fame ballot came out here. I get my takeaways from what we saw on the voting here. As he mentioned here, three Hall of Famers. Adrian Beltre gets in the first ballot, 95% of the vote. Todd Helton, second, sixth ballot, gets in. 307 votes, 79.7% of the ballot of the balloting for him. Joe Maurer, also a first ballot Hall of Famer, 76.1% his first ballot here. He gets in by four votes. Some of the notables that did not get in here, as you mentioned earlier, Billy Wagner, 284 votes. He fell four votes shy, five votes shy, excuse me, of getting in, 73.8%. His last, his ninth year in the ballot, you figure he's going to find five votes between now and next year. 
Somebody, I think he's getting in next year. Gary Sheffield finished at 63.9% drops off the ballot. We'll see what happens with the Veterans Committee. Andrew Jones and Carlos Beltran made some jumps. Jones at 61.6%. Beltran, 57.1%. Beltran's in his second year. If you're good, he's going to get in eventually. Andrew Jones, he's running out of time, but he's cracked 60%. So I think now that he's this close, people can start looking at his candidacy more harder. And this is a guy, weird kind of career with him where he sort of just fell off the face of the earth at the after thir- the age of 30. But this is a guy who was the best defensive center fielder in baseball for 10 years. He hit almost over 400 home runs. You feel like they, there's a spot for Andrew Jones in the Hall of Fame if you want, especially if you're putting priority on defense and war. I think he's a guy you watch here. Not much. After the Beltron, it falls off a cliff in terms of the battling percentage here. A-Rod and Manny Ramirez sort of hovering on their th- – basically stuck at 34, 32% respectively here. These guys are not getting in. It would take a major shift in the voting in, in the voting clientele to get this moving going for these steroid guy, linked guys, especially these two who have positive tests. Chase Utley first ballot, 28.8%. As I mentioned last, when just, with Justin and with the podcast spot here with uh, on, the arc, on the blog post here, Chase Utley at 28.8%. And David Wright, 6.2%, when they have very similar career numbers with Butley compiling for four years, makes no sense to me. I think if you go by the established standards, neither guy belongs in. But when you look at what we have done here, if you look at guys who have, you know, so-so careers, but like they have great peaks, I think you're going to see more of a movement towards these kind of guys. As, you know, Jason Stark and the athletic made a great point. You don't have as many of these guys coming with the magic numbers anymore. You're not going to have many guys getting 3,000 hits or 300 wins or 500 home runs for a long time. So you're going to start looking more at these guys who at least be a first if he comes in with less than 2,000 hits. Right down there, he has about 1,700 hits. Almost 1,800 hits, but again, career cut short. We'll see what happens with these two guys. I don't think the disparity should be that big. 28.8%, there's a chance Utley gets Bill's momentum, but it's a solid landing point for him. If you're a Wright fan, you're glad Wright stayed on the ballot because there was a chance he's going to drop off after one vote. The fact now he stayed on is a good opportunity to, for people to have the conversation about David Wright because I think he's a very interesting perspective on David Wright because this is a guy who undeniably from 2006 to 2013 was one of the best third base in the league. It's a solid seven-year peak where he was great. He had a so-so 14, then he barely played after that because of the back injuries. I think if David Wright had done the Chase Utley and played for four more years, hit about 270 and got over 2,000 hits, got closer to 300 home runs, I think he's in easily. I think it's a fascinating conversation because I don't think the Hall of Fame values these guys who were great for a short period enough, especially if they had extenuating circumstances, drop them off the ballot in terms of their career ending. Like, Johan Santana is a good example where he was brilliant from, like, 2004 to 2010, and then the injury sort of t- tore his career apart. Last guy really had get in like that was Curry Puck in 2001. I think you're seeing an attitude towards these kind of guys who have the great seven, eight-year runs get considered more as opposed to the compiler guys. I think it's a worthy discussion considering some of the people we have in the Hall of Fame. I think that's definitely worth discussing here. Next year's first ballot, I think, is very interesting here. So we lose Sheffield, obviously. Figure Billy Wagner's going to get in. The shot Andrew Jones gets in. Ichiro feels like the lock. Ichiro's going to get in first ballot. CC Sabathia's an interesting case. Because I feel like he's a guy who has 251 career wins. He 
was the ace of the Yankees for a long time. He had the great run of the Brewers. He won a couple Cy Youngs. Like, I feel like he's a guy you're going to look at and say, okay, he's a Hall of Famer. The interesting guy on next year's first-time class is Dustin Pedroia, who has a very similar career arc to Wright and Utley, where he has a great peak, but injuries sort of tear apart the second half of his career. He won a couple of World Series. He won an MVP. He's got better credentials than both of them in that regard. So if you see where Pedroia comes in on this countdown here, we'll see next year what happens to the ballot. But I think good takeaways here from this. I think solid three-person class. I think Sheffield got robbed. I think, again, the steroid stuff makes no sense to me. The way these writers are very hypocritical, they put David Ortiz in basically first shot. And even though he had the positive test in 03 and threw a hissy fit about it, so everybody forgot about it. The fact he's in, the fact that Bud Selig got played by the veterans, even though he let the steroids slide, all these guys should be in. The fact that Sheffield's not, when he clearly was a one of the guys, best players in the league in his prime, just goes to show you, like, if you're not nice to people, they keep you out, which to me is a stupid argument to make. It's not being about personal feelings, whether you like this guy or he's nice. If the guy played well enough, should be in the Hall of Fame. Simple as that. A-Rod and May, slightly nuanced, because again, you have the, the positive tests, which throw things off, but we'll see what happens next year with the this class. See if Wright moves up, until he'll stay on the ballot again. We'll see what happens to these first ballot guys. Always fun talking Hall of Fame induction here. And with that, I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. I want to thank John Butchko for coming on and talking some Jets football. I also want to thank Justin Diaz doing our NFL picks, our second-to-last pick segment of the season here. So very sad to see that wrap up here in two weeks. More good stuff like this podcast, including my full look into the right Upley Hall of Fame debate. Check out the blog over at justonthesuffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast as well. We gave you a, a feed drop last week for the Kyle Newman interview. This week, we are taking a look at the Mandalorian and Grogu announcement. We reacted to that on the podcast, so check out the Sky Guys podcast, same platform at the top of the show. You want to hear that episode. So follow me on social media, mphilips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S 331. And that's going to do it for us here this week on the podcast. Kind of next week, we're going to recap Championship Sunday, start getting ready for the Super Bowl, and more. Until then, it'll be a better week than Bills fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.